Hi guys, Craig here. Before we get started on this month's episode, I just wanted to give you a quick content warning. Throughout the course of this episode, we discuss themes such as alcoholism, family abuse, sexual assault, kidnapping, and suicide. So please, listen at your own comfort. Thank you very much. And I'm Craig and I'm Tall. And welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore franchises, genres, and what else? Movies, franchises, and genres that would not be covered on Permanent Good. Thanks, Craig. What are we watching this month? Okay, so this is our Brie Larson Appreciation Month. Blam month. Yes. And... I just want to say, I want to set the gate right now. These first two movies that we're going to talk about, we always record in two movie chunks. Um, We're doing this one. We're recording the first two discussions uh, together, which we have not done in a hot minute. When I say together, I mean like we're physically in the same location. That (laughs) We always record together. You know, on different parts of the country. Yeah. And I am currently in Bug's apartment. I am... Uh, my mic is hooked up to just the desk. I have never trusted a desk less than me trusting this desk to hold my microphone right now. Are you harshing on my desk in my apartment right now? Do I, are you apologize to it? You just defended the desk in my apartment. Well, the problem with the desk is it's a very sturdy desk, except the only part that I could clip my microphone onto was the the tray the keyboard holder yes the keyboard desk the yeah you know and that is what i don't trust specifically also to set the scene um i'm just talking to the back of bug's head right now (laughs) because they are not able to turn their microphone all the way so whenever they talk they have to look right at the monitor and all all same room charisma is funneled down the drain Okay, Craig, way to... Ruin the illusion? Way to ruin the fun. Well, okay, the first movie we're going to talk about is going to ruin the fun. Well, okay, first of all, let's discuss how, um, you know, the first two movies we watched have entirely different vibes amongst them. One of them is rather depressing to watch, and the other is very, like, cheerful and whimsical. Yeah, whimsical. Um, so the four movies that we are watching for Brie Larson Appreciation Month uh, in this order is The Glass Castle, Unicorn Store, Free Fire, and wrapping it all up with Room. So we are starting with Glass Castle. And if you are unfamiliar with this movie, it's a 2017 movie. Um, Woody Harrelson is also in this movie. And it tells the story of Brie Larson's character, uh, growing up in um a, in in a homeless family, as they like travel from place to place, and her eventually realizing that oh, being homeless isn't as whimsical as my dad is selling it to be. He is in fact incredibly abusive and does not take care of me. So it's her saving up the money and moving out and starting a new life and 
the blending of her new life with her uh, financial analyst fiance and her homeless and determined to stay that way parents and younger sister for most of it yeah um so when we say that this okay let's let's set kind of the family dynamic because watching this movie you catch on right away that oh these parents are i wouldn't say neglectful but they are very close like at the beginning of the movie because Brie Larson's character as a kid, you know, she's she's a kid for half of this movie. She's five or six years old and she's making hot dogs on the stove by herself because her mom doesn't want to put the work in to actually cook it. Because she's too busy painting because her mother is an artist. Yeah, and one of those like you know, stereotypical free spirit artists that that's like nothing as nothing is as important as my art. We're going to pull over the side of the road so I can paint this tree. Like I've never seen nature depicted so beautifully before, like one of those artists. So while she's cooking these hot dogs on the stove, her dress catches on fire. Because it's a gas stove. Yes. Yes. And they take her to the hospital. She's looked at, the burns are looked at, uh, and we kind of have we kind of have this sense of like, okay, so they kind of made it sound like they couldn't afford food, and now she's at the hospital. I don't know how that's gonna work. Hey, I'll tell you exactly how that's gonna work. Woody Harrelson is gonna steal his daughter from the hospital. Hey, no discharge papers, no address on file because they don't have an address. Can't be charged. Yeah, so they were squatting in the house that her dress caught on fire at. And so they just got in the car and kept driving. And the thing that I took away from this movie, like there are lots of instances in this movie where you as the audience are torn, I think, because there's a lot of instances where you can tell, man, Woody Harrelson really cares about his family. Rex is the character's name. Rex really cares about his family. But... He, his unconventional parenting method is putting them in harm's way more often than the good things he's doing to cancel out. I wouldn't even necessarily say that it's solely based on his unconventional parenting methods. And most of it is based on the fact that he is in fact an alcoholic and all of their money, the very little money that they do find and that they do get goes to feeding his addiction rather than feeding his children. Yes, they really double down on the alcoholism in the second half of the movie. Uh, the first half of the movie, I feel like, is a lot more like lighthearted. It's much more through the children's point of view. And so Brie Larson's character's name is Jeanette. And so when Jeanette is six or seven, he she doesn't notice the alcohol as much. But as she becomes a teenager, that stuff picks up a little bit more. Um... I, I think the scene that made me, like, realize, like, oh, this guy is not worth redeeming is when Jeanette is, like, seven or eight or nine or something in that, you know, under double digits age range is they're at a public pool and Rex is teaching Jeanette to swim by throwing her in the water and not helping her. <laughs> and uh, he was he was very much like, hey literally sink or swim and i'm just like okay dude this is i get what you're trying to do but this is not it yeah 
that's always a joke that like people in my family made going up that we were just gonna all be like tossed into the deep end and then we just had to like figure it out we either sink or swim but obviously like you know they would have pulled us up before it got too serious which like he did at the pool but like still first of all you shouldn't do that at a public pool and second of all you gotta let your kid know that that's what's going on before you just throw them and terrify them and make them think that you're killing them because when she's underwater she doesn't move for a hot second like it's at the point where like she doesn't even know where to begin in terms of swimming like that's the vibe that i got like like you're not even getting any like precursor lessons like like there's no like right hey here's the gist of it it's no you're going in the deep end figure it out and that that was the moment where i'm like all right i was letting all the other stuff slide because it was kind of cute but uh this is this this is no bueno well, I also think that that is the moment that Jeanette stops seeing her dad with rose-colored glasses on because the movie, like you said, is told kind of in flashbacks of Jeanette's life, like as she's going through her current life. And it's shown in these flashbacks from her childhood to when she leaves. And you kind of see the moments where she's realizing that this isn't as like amazing and dreamy as her father is telling her and she's kind of like growing and realizing oh this isn't how everybody else lives like this isn't how it's supposed to be yeah and the movie so the reason why this movie is called the glass castle is because there's this ideology that's binding the family together more so when they were kids is the that um, when they gather the money and the resources to do so, Woody Her- Rex, who is genuinely incredibly smart, uh, is going to build a house out of glass and like engineer the place to run off of solar power and give everybody the dream house that they wanted all in this one fantastical glass castle. And you can, they're just scenes where you just see that reality just like get pulled by a thread and then pulled by another thread and like you see Jeanette slowly realize like oh this is not good and has never been good and it comes to a point even in her current life where she decides to like go no contact with her parents because she's like I'm done with you guys you guys aren't doing anything to you know, try and be better people. Dad's drinking again back into his alcoholism fully and I'm done with it. You guys are not supportive of my current life. So she decides to go no contact and the movie then kind of takes you down the path of like how difficult it is to not be in contact, to not pick up the phone when one of your parents calls to have your siblings be like, oh, you should talk to them. You should talk to them. They really want to talk to you. And have to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I have set this boundary and there is nothing that will cause me to break it until I decide so. Yeah. And the movie does a very good job of framing it in the sense of like we, or at least I, wanted Jeanette to hold up that boundary. I agreed with Jeanette's boundary. And so when there were these opportunities for her to break that boundary and whatnot, um, I was like, I don't want you to break it, 
but I would totally understand if you did. Like, it's just like this moral gray area where, like, you should, but you also shouldn't. Well, I don't even think that there was necessarily... Like, I get... Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um, It was because, like, spoiler alert, which isn't really a spoiler alert, but if you don't want this, skip forward. Spoiler alert. We go, hey, we go full spoilers for all small and talls. You should know this by now. Um, he, Rex ends up, you know, getting very, very ill towards the end. And she decides that she's going to see him for what may be the last time that she ever sees him. And, you know, it's, that's like one of the toughest situations to be put in when you decide to go no contact with the family because it's like, with a family member, because it's like, okay, do I decide to, you know, break this boundary and go see them for my own peace of mind, but then give them what they want in their death? Or do I not do that, hold up this boundary, and then am I going to regret it in the future for not going to say goodbye? Yeah, and that's kind of what all of her siblings were saying is like, I feel like a lot of them were like, hey, we understand why you don't want to do this, but for your sake and his sake, but also your sake. Like, you should talk to him a little bit. And they do have uh, the scene where she does go end up talking to him. It's a very cute scene. It, it's it's a scene where, like, the, the vibe that I got is, like, I don't forgive you for everything, but, like, I, I don't want you to hold on to this in your final moments. Yeah, I feel like it was... I don't forgive you, but I appreciate the bits of good that you did give us. And I know that a lot of the time your heart was in the right place, even if your impact did not equal your intent. Yes, 100%. Because there are moments in this movie where he is straight up a great dad. In my opinion, there are just yeah. things that he does where it's like, these are the things that a great dad does, but everything else is just like so absolutely heart wrenching to watch. There are so many difficult scenes of him coming home blasted, taking it out on his wife and the kids pretending like they don't see it. But then he starts to get physical with it and they're like, all right, we ha- we have to do something. Yeah. And it's like, Another really interesting thing was that you mentioned it right after we finished the movie because the last scene is the siblings and their mother together at Thanksgiving a couple years after Rex passes away. It doesn't necessarily say when exactly he had passed away, how long it was after that final time she went to see him or whatever, but he does end up passing away. And you mentioned that them reminiscing about the good around the table kind of felt like, oh, so we're just going to gloss over all the bad. Yeah. But at the same time, which I told you this after we finished it, was that like till they moved out, they only kind of knew other life, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't until, you know, they got to where almost three out of four of them were teenagers that they went to actual school and they started learning oh, this isn't how it's supposed to be. So when they're reminiscing, I feel like, you know, for not knowing anything else, those moments 
are still highlights of their childhood and were like lights in their everlasting darkness yeah. of childhoods. Yeah. And the thing like you talking about them uh not knowing another life like the best meal that Jeanette has in the like before she's a teenager is when she's in the hospital. And they make a point to be like where Jeanette is like, they serve me a lot of food here. And all the kids are like, yo, should we break our arms so we can also get hospital food? Like, And if hospital food is the best food you've ever had, you know that somebody hasn't been eating the best foods. The Oh, oh I want to talk about the scene that made my blood absolutely boil. Oh, my God. And, uh... Uh, I don't know. I mean, hey, hey, guys, content warning for just the whole of it, I guess. Um, But there's a scene where they're so the kids are comprised of three daughters and one son. And there's a scene where they're staying at Rex's mom's house, their grandma's house, where their where their grandma sexually assaults the son and uh, the daughters walk in on it. And they beat up the grandma, basically. They punch her yeah, and they, hold her down. Yeah, and and they got punished for it. Rex heard about the situation, and he's like, "You respect your grandma. He, the son, like my son, is a man. He can fend for himself." And like, so basically telling the daughters, like, "You did the wrong thing. You should have just let it happen." And I was so ready. To just, like, explode at that moment. But the daughters also didn't accept that. Yeah. They refused to accept that. They stood their ground on it, which I thought was super cool. Sorry. Super freaking cool. And, um, you know, on top of that, while he did say that, they were still in the house with the grandmother in the house with them. But after that... They never went back to their grandmas. Yeah, uh-huh. And I, I, I just wish there would have been like a, you know, a scene, a scene of recognition about the situation. Because like, yeah, like, yes, not going back to the grandmas is, was the correct move. But there was also more correct things he could have done that he did not. Well, because it's later, just a couple scenes later, exposed that, she did the same thing to him. Yes. Yeah. Which is what is suspected to be one of the roots of his alcoholism. And so Jeanette is in the car with her dad at one point after he kind of did the same thing with her and sent her away with this dude. And she had to like defend herself against this dude because he was like, my daughter knows how to defend herself against a man and all this stuff. And she calls him out and she goes, I don't care what she did to you. That is not an excuse for you letting other people do the same thing to us. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. And I thought that that was breaking those cycles of trauma. And I was so proud of her in that moment for saying that to his face. Yeah, I, that during that ride, during that scene, I was like, the bravery to say that in a car, because like, there's no escape. Like, yeah. I'm the kind of person where if I need to confront somebody about something, I go to them, I confront them about it, and then I leave. I'm not sticking around in that atmosphere. And so to do it in a car where 
the only thing you have to do is stick in the atmosphere, I would have melted. I would have crumpled like a sa- like a soggy piece of paper. That's what happened when I got asked out in a car. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Said yes. <laughs> Not by me. Not by me. Had a good time for like three months. <laughs> Until we just avoided each other for the last two weeks of the relationship. Until one of us finally broke it off. Um, yeah, this movie is just super heavy. This is also, this is one of those, like, acting feasts. Oh, my God. Because there are moments of intensity, but, like, there aren't moments of action, right? It's one of these movies that you have to watch. You have to make the effort to be a part of it. And um, the acting will definitely carry you through it. The acting is phenomenal. You can literally, like, I felt so deeply so many of the emotions that were portrayed and yeah. so many of even, like, the scenes that were portrayed. I was like, holy crap. And it, and when you watch this movie, you'll, like, the thing that I took away from this is this is not an original story this is not a new story it is based on a true story it's based on a book it's an autobiography yeah it's it's a memoir uh it's based on a memoir of Jeanette is the woman who wrote it and uh so I want to I definitely want to give that credit but like in terms as far as like movies go uh you know we've seen this story before but and it's portrayed well so I don't want to like knock it for that if that makes sense but it's like, I think that gives it more points, if anything, because it's solidarity that, you know, more than one person is going through this type of stuff and that, you know, this isn't just a one type of person experience, that this is realities for so many people out there. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. This this movie is good. It is. It just it really is. Um, It's not it, it's one of those movies where it's not one of my favorites, but like. I can't really give an objective reason why. It's just one of those things where, like, that the, it was good. I liked it a lot. Um, I like. I would give this like a maybe like a seven and a quarter, seven and a half. Um, this mo- there were parts where this movie dragged for a while, and this movie didn't spend. It spent a lot of time. It spent too much time in one section at a time. If that makes sense, like they didn't flip back and forth as often as I kind of would have liked because there's a time where we're with the kids and like kid Jeanette for like a full hour before we cut back to adult Jeanette and the fiance life and I would have liked a little bit more integration throughout the whole thing rather than just set up the adult in the beginning pay it off in the end yeah I definitely can agree with that bit um I definitely think that this is a movie that you need to have something light to watch afterwards to lighten your mood because as we've mentioned it is a very very heavy movie to watch um i think i give it probably like a seven and a half yeah because it is a phenomenal movie it's not one that you're gonna you know watch every weekend or anything because it is (laughs) so heavy but you know, it definitely is well written. It's 
well made and you know i feel like it's an important story to be told in the end i i said something along the lines of like everything that went wrong in this movie as terms of as far as like plot goes everything that goes wrong goes wrong in the worst way possible yeah like um you just feel it in the pit of your stomach like you know oh Rex just found out about their like move to the city fund. And you know that when he finds out about it, he is going to react in the worst way possible. Absolutely. And you just, there are just so many scenes where you're like, there's no way this could get worse. No human would make the decision to behave worse than Rex is behaving right now. And then Rex goes to behave a little bit worse. Yeah. He himself behaves worse. Um, and I, hey, I just want to say we're ragging on Rex a lot because he's kind of the main antagonist of the movie. Rosemary ain't getting off Scott clean either. All right. I want to talk. I want to make sure that she gets her her due Um, because I don't know she she's an enabler. Yeah. who You know, it, but at the same time, it's you know, she is also an abuse victim. Yes. Yeah. So she is so in love with this man who, you know, has shown her the world and believed in her when nobody else did. But she refuses to acknowledge that this is harming both her and her children now. And, you know, while she knows his heart is in the right place, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're supposed to stick around because her children literally beg her at different points at very young ages to leave their father, and she is just like, no, he loves me, he believes in my art, while he'll also go and destroy her art and tell her that it's garbage and nobody's gonna buy it. Yeah, um, so there's a lot of stuff that happens, and the the adult Jeanette scenes, you know, her family is still homeless, or her parents are, actively, and she runs into them while they are digging through the trash on the streets of New York. And that's kind of what makes Jeanette draw that boundary that and more outbursts. Cause her family is, cru- is, you know, crutched with outbursts. Yes. And so it's just like, that's where she draws the boundary. Like, listen, we've been doing this for like 30 years and you are making no effort to change. And I, and that's kind of the thing of this whole movie is just like knowing how to knowing when to break it off. When enough is enough. Anyway, we've been talking about this movie for a while. So let's move on to Unicorn Store. Um, Unicorn Store is a very different movie. <laughs> Much more lighthearted. Much while more light-hearted. it still has heavy undertones here and there, mainly portrayed in a lighthearted way. And much more cheerful. Yes. yes. This movie is about a woman named Kit, who is portrayed by Brie Larson, who basically f- drops out of art school, moves back in with her parents, and has to find a balance between her creative soul and adult responsibilities, is the main theme of this movie. And the way that the movie goes about telling it is Kit gets invited to a place called The Store, the aforementioned unicorn store, where Samuel L. Jackson is like, hey, 
do you want a unicorn? We want to offer one to you. And she's like, absolutely I do. So the movie is about her quest to make her home and life suitable to bring home, let's be clear, a real unicorn. (laughs) Yes. And throughout the film, we learn that growing up, all she wanted and all she ever wanted in her life was a unicorn. But really, all she wanted was true unconditional love and friendship. Yes. Because we learned that she had an imaginary unicorn friend named Steven. Steve. Steve. Steven. Steve. Steven to his parents. Yes, Steven to his parents. Uh... They would play games together. They would laugh together. They would cry together. They just had so many memories together. And it, like, helped her get through this childhood where her parents are these, you know, therapists. But instead of trying to parent their daughter, just try to be therapists to their daughter, which never works. And I would even argue they're not great therapists. No. <laughs> At least not in the way it's portrayed. Like, I see where they're trying, and I see the moments where I'm like, okay, yeah, they're just putting up this act so that the kids get comfortable. But at the same time, I'm like, mm, a little too unprofessional they with are it. Definitely, the vibe that I, they're very hippie therapists, is the kind of vibe that I got from them. Is it just felt very like, yeah, just like you got to feel your feelings, man. It, it's like an over the top. It's an over the top portrayal. I it's, like, it's almost like a stereotype of therapists. It is what the Internet thinks cognitive behavioral therapy is. Yeah, because it's just all their therapy techniques is just you're valid. You're valid. Let your emotions out. What a great share. And like that's all they're doing. <laughs> And I just want to say, I want to say that Kit's fears are totally rational because her parents, the day she moves back in with her parents, they bring like her childhood friend over and starts, they start fawning over him. Like, look at all the great stuff Kevin is doing. Trying to push her to be with him. Yeah. And like, or at the very least do what he's doing. Yeah. And I'm like, I, there were moments in this movie where I'm like, Kit, I get it. I totally understand why this is all, this is harsh in your vibe because Kit is very much like a a young soul. Her, Her creative energy is like, usually is what's at the helm of her body and she doesn't want to be weighed down by adult responsibilities. And there are moments in this movie where you're like, come on, Kit, you got to get a job. And there are other moments where like, yeah, Kit. You're rocking it at your job. Yeah. So uh, there's just like, I I think this movie does a good job at showing us both sides. Because there are times where she's like, I'm trying to get a unicorn. And even though, as an audience member, you're supposed to believe that she's getting a real unicorn. There are moments where you're like, Kit, how far are you really going to take this? And then she doubles down and takes it even further. And you're all like, all right, fair enough. 
But hey, at the same time, she is working a job to make sure she can provide for this unicorn. She has made a friend named Virgil who is helping her build a stable (laughs) for this unicorn so it can have a beautiful home to stay in. Meanwhile, and she keeps doing this and putting effort towards this while everybody is telling her, no, this isn't going to happen. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. And she's like, no, it is real. And you see... Like, this movie also takes us through how her being kind of a more innocent soul, I want to say, almost, impacts her in her quote-unquote real adult life, in her interactions with the people in her workplace, specifically her creepy boss, who very much is just a creeper and wants yeah. in her pants yeah like the like the sniffing hair kind of creepy yeah and she doesn't really like identify that he's being creepy until multiple people tell her this and then she has to ask virgil if she's pretty enough to be sexually harassed yeah it's just uh, yeah and virgil has to be like that is the wrong way to ask that question. <laughs> Not even. He's more just like, no, that is wrong of him to treat you like that. And no, you shouldn't yeah, be yeah, sexually yeah. harassed at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there are, again, there are moments in this movie where I felt like Kit was wanting her cake and eating it too. Like there, there was something about the whole like interaction where her parents are looking through her the unicorn stuff and she just like freaks out at them because there are parts of me like yes obviously there needs to be a boundary and they violated the boundary but you can see you can see the regression in that interaction where she just feels like she's 14 again and she's you know kicking her parents out of her room and like uh, it was one of those scenes where, like, I understand both of you right now. Yeah, I definitely get it. But at the same time, I feel like, one, she was, first of all, defensive because they were in her room without her permission, going through her stuff, and they just started attacking her, accusing her of, you know, not liking the original playhouse they made her because they destroyed that one to build the new stable for the unicorn. And they kind of like manipulate and guilt trip her to try and get her to tell them what's going on because she wants to be private with this and wants to be private with the fact that she's getting a unicorn because she knows that nobody's going to believe her and she just doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah, and that that scene also has another very good instance of them not being good therapists because they start diagnosing the conversation to each other. While they're still having the conversation. The number one rule you learn in when getting your psychology bachelor's degree, if you have good professors who are good therapists, one of them will tell you, under no circumstance do you psychoanalyze your friends and family, first of all, to their face, Second of all, in an argument or disagreement or serious conversation. Yeah. 
because that that scene was just so blatant about it where she where the her mom is like um like she's getting defensive and he's like i know i just like i started talking about her emotions and then she started attacking me and i feel like that i need to respect it but i still feel like she's being attacking it and i'm like she's right there what is what is wrong with you two here's a question that i have for you do you think kit is autistic I am not qualified to answer that question in the slightest. From what you know about autism and the characteristics that you saw in Kit of her not really responding well to social cues, of her saying that she has world famous tantrums, of her getting defensive, and of her kind of holding on to this young free spirit, what do you think? Well, when you phrase it like that, it'd be kind of, it'd be buck wild for me to say, you know what? No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's an observation I would have never thought to make. But, you know, when you lay it out like that, it it, it makes sense. And you would think psychological professionals would notice that and try to accommodate for it. But I think what I'm learning is her parents were the real antagonists of this movie. (laughs) They were. They 100% were the antagonists of this movie because they were bad parents. They were therapists as parents instead of parents that were therapists. Yeah. um, This movie has a high chance of pissing you off. I, I mean you as in the royal you. Like, if you don't relate with Kit then you're going to end up relating with everyone else. And because they frame everyone else as the haters. Unless you're a Virgil. Yes. Um, then this movie is going to irritate you because she does some buck wild, crazy creative stuff that like, it's very easy to get secondhand embarrassment from it. It's very easy to like, um, it's very easy to like logically break down a better solution or or to like rationalize something that she is very clearly treating with emotion and not rationality. So I, I think this movie rubs a lot of people the wrong way simply because the concept is incredibly childish. And I think, as I mentioned when we were discussing this what this month was going to be last month. I mentioned that the first time that I watched this movie, I didn't make it all the way through. And that was because of, you know, the secondhand embarrassment that I got from some of the situations. But that's because personally, I like a main character. Sometimes I like one that I can like really relate to. But my favorite main characters are the ones who act like what I wish I could be and what I wish I had the confidence to do or act like. Meanwhile, Kit is kind of just like me. (laughs) Yeah, we had this conversation on Permanent Good where Kingsman is my favorite movie because that is what I aspire to be. That is like my dream aesthetic. If I could walk into that aesthetic, I would. Right. But Scott Pilgrim is also one of my favorite movies because... You see yourself. (laughs) I see a little bit more of myself in that. Right. Um, So I 100% understand where you're coming from with that. So this second time attempting to watch it and accepting that like, okay, okay, bug, you see yourself in her in some aspects and you just have to accept that. It was a much more enjoyable watch through. And 
I really did like Virgil. Virgil was probably my favorite character in this yeah, entire movie. Yeah, I couldn't... Personally, I couldn't quite get over the sense of obligation I felt towards Virgil. Because there's... At the beginning, he's like, okay, he's there on a job. Fine, whatever. But then as it becomes more personal, I kind of got like a little bit more like, oh, now he's doing it because he likes us and... I, I feel like I'm taking advantage of you because I li- because you like me. So, like, that's just, like, my own per- – that's my personal ick. <laughs> but – I don't think that's what I got from it because you kind of saw the slow progression of him being like, okay, this chick is pretty out there, so I'm, I'm going to accept this job. And then you see their friendship build a lot more before, like, there's even, like, a date-type thing mentioned. And even then, I don't think that it was, like, very datey. I feel like it was still, like, hey, we're just really good friends, and I accept you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And I... Whether it turns romantic right now while it is platonic, I love you unconditionally. Yeah. Maybe I just have a problem with accepting unconditional love. But this is a podcast, so we're not going to talk about that. Um, That's the conversations Craig and I have at 10 p.m. at night. Not uh, on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this movie, it's it's not for everyone. There's, I if you, like I said before, there's a large audience for this movie that sees it as childish and writes it off because of that. And I don't want to say that they're wrong. It's just, this isn't a movie for them. I don't think this movie was made poorly. I don't think it was written poorly. Um, it's just the content of it. It's just, people aren't going to click with it. You're either down with it or you aren't. Um, yeah, I just, I, 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 yeah, I guess that's kind of all I really need to say about it. It's very colorful. You know, right when you click on the Netflix tile, you're like, oh, this, I will say, the Netflix tile for this movie does a very, it is very accurate. You can click on that Netflix tile and be like, instantly, never trust a snap judgment more than in that moment. <laughs> and I will say that we wholeheartedly believe that in Kit's presentation to the marketing team at the firm she works at hers was 100% better and I would have loved her vacuums and her vacuum ads compared to the ads that the vacuum company decided to go with and listen not even coming from a we were invested in this girl it was just a better pitch it was just a better pitch it's like oh you can see the passion that she's gonna bring to a campaign like this Yes, this one, obviously. So it's just, obviously, it was like that for, like, you know, dramatic, like, oh, I'm the colorful one, and these are a bunch of gray stiffs. Who want a sexualized vacuum. I think I want to give this a flat seven. Um, There are some parts where it's, like, it's a lot less subtle. <laughs> they they, they kind of lay it on thick a little bit towards the end. Yeah. Like when she finally does get her uniform unicorn, she stands in front of him for like two minutes, just like monologuing to the unicorn. And I'm just like, all right. All right. I get it. Come on. 
But that's when you find out about everything about yes. Steve and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't warranted. I'm just like, that's when I'm like, all right, you're laying it on thick a little bit. So, In conclusion, uh, Craig likes action movies because he can't sit still for more than two minutes. And so he needs oh his brain to be moved God. fast. I, Tell me I'm lying. Tell me I'm lying. I, no, you are lying. You're lying. You prefer action movies over any other movies, and you can't tell me you don't because even Scott Pilgrim and Kingsman have heavy action in them. Um, uh, I gotta go. My mom's calling me. Um. Anyway, <laughs> I give this movie a 6.5. I think it is very whimsical, and I, you know, I like oh, it so a lot like more. Oh, so you like action movies. You need your brain to be stimulated every two seconds. Are you done interrupting me? No, because I'm a man. I'll never be done interrupting not men. Anyway, it's very whimsical. And I definitely liked it a lot more on my second watch through of it. And I could appreciate it more for what it's worth. Like Craig mentioned, it's definitely a you either get it or you don't type of movie. You either like it or you don't. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good one still. Still not the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah. Um, hey, so uh, when you hear our audio change and we sound different, it's because we're back in our normal uh, recording situations. And that's going to happen now. Hey, Craig again. Remember like 15 seconds ago when I said that our audio was going to sound different? Uh, boy, could I have not been more correct. When I was resetting, when I was setting my microphone up again, I did it wrong. <laughs> I just straight up did it wrong. Um, it sounds fine. It just sounds different. It's not as crisp, but I just wanted to give you a warning. It's not you. It's me. I promise. Okay, sorry. Let's carry on. Okay, so now we're going to move into uh, Free Fire, which is, I would say, the most different movie on this list. And maybe setting the tone a little bit too early, my least favorite. This was your least favorite I, I liked this one, honestly. Okay, so here's the thing with Free Fire. So this is a 2016 movie, um, very, very British. Also, okay, real quick, I do want to give a little tangent before we get into the real meat of the conversation. Um, the problem with going into some of these movies blind is sometimes you go in a little bit too blind and you don't realize that Army Hammer... <laughs> I was going to mention that myself. <laughs> so, uh... Um, let's, we, I recognize that and we, we, he's, he's a bad person. We're going to move on from it. Okay. I Just do have to recognize it. I do have one comment that I'll make about him later. Sure. Same. Uh, but the movie itself, it's a 2016 movie. It also has, uh, Charlotte Copley in it and Killian Murphy. And basically it's the whole movie takes place in a single warehouse. Mm -hmm. Like, almost a single room in a single warehouse and the premise is there is a weapons deal you know people flew from england to boston to complete this weapons deal and one thing leads to another the weapons deal goes wrong and now it's a shootout a hearty it's a shootout for like 70 minutes most of the movie is this like bottle setting slow paced um shootout where there's like people cross sides people don't 
realize who is on whose side. There are people that come in halfway through that are like a third party. And all in all, it's just kind of it's like this complicated web of subtle action. And almost all of the dialogue is done through like battle or like, I don't know, battle cries. I wouldn't even call it that, but just like just like call outs. Well, they just talk crap to each other. <laughs> yeah. So the the reason why I didn't love this movie is because I don't think it should have been a movie. This felt like an episode of television that just was 90 minutes. Like I I think that the I think that 90 minutes was too long for this gimmick to continue cuz I was checked out at like 40 45 minutes. And then, like, one of the characters goes, oh, no, we're just getting started. And I'm like, are we? Are we <laughs> really just getting started? Because I'm almost done. Honestly, of all the action movies that we have watched for Small and Tall, this one is the one that had me intrigued for the longest time. Because you had to see, I think we're both of us went wrong is we went into this thinking that it was going to be another serious action movie but if anything yeah like a high octane right like yeah but if anything this is a comedy action movie because you have to because i thought that the call outs to each other like from different sides as they're all hiding waiting to shoot at each other were hilarious because it's like this felt like expectations versus reality arms deal edition where like yes definitely (laughs) where like you expect it to be like these big old dudes just being all serious mafia men exchanging these arms and it's just like it's felt very human like this is definitely something i could see actually being reported in the news yeah because uh, like you said, everybody is acting all tough and burly but then as soon as the first gunshot goes off Everyone pees their pants. Absolutely. Everybody stays behind cover. They're afraid to peek out. They're all trying to convince each other to like, hey, you should be the one to make the move and I'll cover you. Like that's a common theme is um, one of the characters is trying to get someone else to just take the danger for him. And everyone is like, no, that's (laughs) crazy and stupid. If you want it that bad, do it yourself. And I feel like they all were like a little too casual about getting shot when they got yes. shot. Yeah. Only one person, uh, what like really took the bullet. Like I think you, someone normally takes a bullet and that's because he got shot in the head. Yeah. And like <laughs> Brie Larson got shot like three times and every time she's just like, Oh, ah, you shot me or, Oh, dang it. Yeah. You shot me with just like, <laughs> Six out of ten rating of anger (laughs) is the most common expression in this movie. It's like they say you shot me like someone stubbed their toe or something like that. Literally, I feel like we should have kept a tally of how many times they say you shot me or oh, he shot me throughout the movie. And so the entire time before everything hits the fan. When they're trying to do the actual deal, obviously, you know, something's going to go wrong because then there otherwise there wouldn't be a movie. Right. But just the way it boiled over, I'm just like, I feel like 
this whole movie could have been prevented if cooler heads could prevail. And that's something that I find that is a frustrating trope for me to watch is like everybody is in trouble because one person couldn't keep it together. Yes. And now 10 people are shooting at each other. Like I found that like the the catalyst for it all was very valid. The reason that they gave was very fair. I'm just like, can you wait 20 minutes? Can you just can you just finish the deal and then and then, and then go hunt dude? them down? Like finish the deal and then go hunt him down. Yeah. So, because yeah, just that was a, a big pet peeve. Also, I didn't like really any of the characters. I felt like Ord Ord was the only character. Ord and Justine were the only two characters where I'm just like. I like your charisma. I like your personality. Everyone else, I was just, I was not on their side. I had no allegiance to if they live or died. I wasn't rooting for anybody in this movie. No, I think it was, so I thought it was really funny that like while this deal is going on and they're like talking about the logistics and everything, they had like that little like side part of uh justine and chris which is brie larson and uh uh how do you say his name how do you say it i s- chris oh killian murphy killian murphy i never know how to pronounce his first name i always botch it so but it's like them and like he's like asking her out like on a date and all this stuff and she's just like no she's like this is not the time no and i'm like that just feels really realistic like that is what it's like to be a woman in any situation where you're mostly around men and there's the line i loved the interaction at the end of it where it's like you know what you're right just just forget about it and she's like oh i already have and then at the end when she's like hey can i get a rain check and he's like you can do whatever you want (laughs) he's (laughs) like you have proved yourself you do whatever you want to do yeah, th- 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 there were some good moments. Um, I also liked Martin. Uh, I really liked the guy Martin that got too. shot in the head. Yeah. Um, he n- not in as much of this movie as he should have been, unfortunately, um, due to the bullet in the head situation. <laughs> Although his comeback was really great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and and the I think the reason why I liked Martin so much is because he was the cooler head in this scenario. Because when like Vernon and who was it Harley were, were like trying to like get this dude, right? Uh, Martin was the one that was like, guys, now is not the time. I get it, but like not now, please, please, just not now, guys. Come on and. He was, like, also the revealer for, like, the big plot twists and everything, which I thought was really cool to have them do it in that way. I thought it was comedic and cool. Yeah. Um, this movie also has some uh, pretty cool practical effects that go in it. Um, like, there's a part where Charlotte Copley gets caught on fire, mm-hmm. and they just light him on fire. Literally. And there's another guy that gets his head run over at the end of the movie. Oh, that was hard to watch. uh, It was hard to watch, but it was done very well. Um, And lots of people. Hey, guys, lots of people get shot. in this movie. (laughs) That's all people get in this movie. (laughs) And some of them are done more grotesquely 
and I think and some of them are a little bit tamer, but like the more grotesque ones are like they they feel I don't want to say realistic, but it was it, it definitely added to the style of the movie. It was stylistically appropriate. Yes, I think my favorite time of somebody getting shot, which is a weird sentence to say, <laughs> but my favorite scene of someone getting shot was when Brie Larson's character gets shot by Harry, and she's like, "Ah, yes. oh, you shot me! I can't believe I gave a crap about your cousin." Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, it, 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 there's a lot of like same side shooting. There's a lot of people being like, "Are we on the same side? Are we on the same side? Are they on the same side? Whose side am I on?" And like, if it's it's a very dry comedy it's very british humor and i loved it because i love british um, humor yeah uh i had another thing oh so this movie listen this movie takes place in the 60s i thought it was the 70s the 70s sure um and they really take use of the language that they oh, used a lot more back my then god like guys hey just because it's the 70s doesn't mean you need to use slurs that we have since dropped okay you can you can stop that this leads into my army hammer comment because i have never really personally been a fan of army hammers acting because personally to me it seems like the frat boy who was in theater in high school, but he delivers his line as if he's in ninth grade English class reading from Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and that whole concept in my head of him being that frat bro actor was definitely solidified when in his first or second line in this film, he drops an F slur. Yeah, like... He's the kid that got a little too excited when he got called on to read from Huck Finn in 10th grade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, But I think this movie, it's like I said at the beginning, this movie just feels like it would have been paced better if it was an episode of TV or if it was 60 minutes instead of 90. I definitely I just, agree. My biggest problem with this movie is the pacing because... I like, I really love the concept. I think that if bottle settings are executed well, they can be some of the best forms of me of media. Um, some of my favorite episodes of TV are bottle episodes. Like, um, I forget the name of the episode, but the, there's a doctor who episode where he spend, where the entire episode takes place on like an Amtrak train on a, on an alien planet. Yeah. 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 It yeah. is, my favorite episode of Doctor Who. And this movie gives the same vibes. Because even though we do get new characters later on, they're not as important and we're kind of told they're not important. Um, so for all intents and purposes, it's just like eight or ten people in a warehouse together shooting at each other every three or four minutes. Yeah, there were definitely and, some scenes where I was like, okay, you didn't really need to show me this dude smoking crack for the fifth time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Charlton Copley plays this uh, character named Vernon, who is, he's like the face of the of the deal, but he he's one of those people that's like, I'm the leader of this group. But as soon as you put him under any pressure, he makes the henchmen do anything else. And... That is a personality that 
wore thin way sooner than he died. <laughs> I absolutely agree. By the end of it, I was like, thank goodness he's gone. Because when he gets shot, like, so when he, when he gets shot first, the first time he gets shot, it it hits his suit only. It, give, it like, might have given him, like, it might have skimmed him. Like or a something. graze. Yeah. And he makes, he throws a fit like a baby. He acts like he's been shot in the heart. And everyone is like, dude, it's just your suit. Calm down. And that's like the entire energy he has for the whole movie. And after, after you see him do it once, it's like, okay, all right. New characters, please. I want to, like, I got to a part where I'm like, Harry is the most interesting character in this room, and he didn't show up to the arms deal until like 10 minutes later. (laughs) He was just supposed to be the transporter of the money. (laughs) Yeah. So, and like, there was also a part where, first of all, Brie Larson's character, Justine, even at the end of the movie, I don't know what she wanted. Because she was there as a liaison from Vernon, but she wasn't loyal to Vernon, so she swapped sides like two or three times. And then the British side is like, hey, you go get help. You call both of our guys and that they'll get us out of this. And But they still shoot her before she's able to leave. And so I'm like, God, what is the point of her character? Okay, her po- her character point was so she was like she obviously had like some old fling with Vernon right and they were like cause he like she's the only one who could talk him down and all that stuff and then later on you find out like when Martin comes back from the dead pretty much and is like standing around shooting people he talks about how him and Justine are actually in it so what was really going on was that Martin and Justine were pretending to work with Vernon to try and get the money from the British guys. And so she was being friendly with the British guys so that way they didn't think her suspicious and could think that she was actually a li- liaison for Vernon. But really, she was working with Martin the entire time. So when they were shooting her, it was because they didn't know whose side she was on because she was a little little trickster. Yes, yes, yes. Um so that that does make sense when we get to the end of the movie, but everything before that, it was just like, I feel like she didn't know whose side she was on, which like is fair because she's trying to play whoever she can. Exactly. So she can get out. Exactly. But they're just it just got to a point where like the web was a little too confusing for me to care anymore. It, it Like if anybody shot at anybody else, I'm like. All right, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. F- fair enough. Free for all. Mexican standoff. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, because who survived? Justine survived and... Orb and Chris. Orb and Chris. Okay. And, like, those are the only three characters you care about by the time you get to the end of the movie. Pretty much. So it's like, fair enough. <laughs> um. And th- and there's this weird, like, reconciliation between Chris and Ord at the end where they're like, 
you know, I reckon the cops have, it's going to be 15 minutes before the cops get here. So they kind of just like waddle off in their own directions. And I'm like, could we not have done this 75 minutes ago? Well, this was before, you know, everyone else was dead and Ord was like, I just don't feel like doing this anymore because everybody was scared of Ord. And so they were just like, you know what? I just want to drink. I just killed like eight people. Let's just go get a drink. Yeah, and so, like, the fact that it just ended so casually for three different people, it's like, it, it, I don't want to say it felt like it ended with nothing, but it was pretty close. It felt like like it. We kind of ended right where we started, but with with eight fewer people. It ended like it was a TV show, for sure. Yeah, yeah, so... That's kind of just my main thesis is if this was reworked as a 50 or 60 minute TV movie as opposed to a feature length movie, then, you know, I would have been fine with it. Um, The director for this movie is a a really good director. Um, I think he's directed some Peaky Blinders. And if I'm wrong, I'll just cut it out. But I I really liked a lot of the cinematography of this one. Like, there's one scene right at the beginning when they're, like, walking up the steps into the warehouse that I just absolutely fell in love with how they set that shot up because it was, like, very, like, 70s kind of almost, like, Austin Powers reminiscent, if that makes sense, just, like, with how yeah. they were dressed and, like, how they were all, like, standing as they were, like, about to start walking up. It was really cool. Oh yeah, this movie is a mood. Like, don't get me wrong. They like if you are a fan of that 70s style, like this movie delivers it in spades. And I think that definitely plays a part into why I liked this one so much. Um I do want to issue a correction. Um obviously Killian Murphy was Peaky Blinders. He was, yeah. he's the lead actor in that. So that's where I kind of got it confused. The thing that I wanted to bring up that this director had done before was he directed the Tom Hiddleston movie High Rise. Oh, which you know that I still need to watch. Yes, um, which is why I brought it up. Um, <laughs> overall, um, I was kind of really excited to watch this movie just because the po- it's a really cool poster. Um, the concept is super cool. I just I feel like this was the wrong format for it. There were other grievances that I have with this movie, but overall, the pacing and the format just, it really tanked this movie for me. Um, I'm giving it a five and a half. I would really not want to watch it again. I don't regret watching it, but I don't know. There's just nothing in it for me. This one, I'm going to give a solid six because I feel like while I probably won't watch it again anytime soon, it's one of those that would be good to like put on in the background after you've seen it the first time so like when you're like sitting there and you don't know what to watch and you're going to be on your phone anyway you can kind of just put it on the background and then you can laugh at the silly things they say but don't actually have to like pay attention and be invested in it you can check in every 30 minutes and be like who's dead at this point right okay okay cool exactly and we definitely stylized this month almost probably unintentionally by making it a kind of a sad movie versus happy movie versus (laughs) lighthearted versus depressing. Yeah. So with that being said, let's get into, I would say, the heaviest movie I've watched in a very long time. Uh, This movie is... So the last movie we're talking about is Room. 
not not to, not to be confused with the room. Um, if you tried to watch the room and got room instead, or vice versa, Yikes. y'all. Oh boy, are these two very different conversations? So different. Um, so room is um 2015, I think. And uh, Brie Larson, and Jacob Tremblay, William H. Macy, Joan Allen. Um, like I said, this one's pretty heavy. It's um, Brie Larson at 17 years old got kidnapped and has been trapped in this shed for seven years. We are with her seven years into the journey. And by this time, uh, she has had a kid by her captor. And... It's the first half of this movie is watching them, for all intents and purposes, survive in this room. Um, it's their day to day. It's it's basically their life as captives in this room. And then again, spoiler: the second half of this movie is they do manage to escape, and the second half of the movie is them adjusting to normal life. Um, with varying peaks and valleys. Absolutely. It so Jacob Tremblay's character Jack is you know, he's held in captivity for his entire five years of life, so you have Brie Larson who plays Ma or Joy and um she has to kind of like figure out one, how to be a parent at such a young age with being held captive for, you know, two years before he was born and then having to be a mom at 19 all of a sudden and try to explain what's going on to a child and so a lot of the times she like simplifies it a little too much which causes his adjustments to be a lot for him to handle once they get out of there and he it gets you see just how overwhelming it is for him at times because her strategy, and I think I think this is a totally valid Absolutely. strategy, where she's like, if I tell him what the real world is like, and we never make it out of here, then, he, you know... He's going to ask will, questions. Only be, he's going to ask questions. It will only be disappointment. So she makes up this fantasy where room is the only thing that exists, and everything outside of room is outer space, and up is heaven and that's it everything on the tv is fake yeah old nick who is their captor comes in from outer space and gives them what they need and so jacob tremblay jack for five years believes that, that there is literally nothing else to life except a bed a wardrobe a toilet a bath uh like a, a toaster oven and a table like that's it. Mm-hmm. So, so when he does, there's a point where Ma tries to tell Jack the truth. Where like, listen, you're five now. You can believe. Like, you're finally old enough to know about the real world. And there are just so many times as she's trying to tell the truth, where Jack just refuses to accept it because it's it's too much change at once, and it gets to the point where. He freaks out at her. He starts yelling at her. Like he, he, there's so much new information that is like rocking his world that he just he denies it all. He rejects everything, and it's 
there are so many really difficult scenes like that where you know that one of them is just really trying really hard, but it's just, it's been too long and it's so hard to break that mold. And it's totally understandable that he has those freakouts because, you know, imagine being five when you're just starting to like understand things for real and all of a sudden your entire reality is shattered. Like that would mess you up. And then, you know, this five-year-old goes through so much trauma while he's in room and then once he gets out there's once again even more trauma for this small child to live through yeah so this is my third time watching this movie and uh god it's just it is a really heavy watch um there's so much about this movie that like it just makes you feel it just makes you feel feelings um, they're like when normally Ma and Jack sleep in the same bed, mm-hmm. but every Sunday old Nick comes in and Jack has to stay in the wardrobe because old Nick will use the night to take advantage of Ma. And obviously Jack does not need to be around for that. Mm-mm. And Ma is incredibly protective of Jack, even in room. So she does everything in her power to keep old Nick away from him, even though they're in this 10 by 10 room and you, you it, it's you watch her. I don't want to say motherly instincts because I feel like that's dropping a lot on a 24 year old. But whenever old Nick gets close to Jack or talks about Jack, like she just mama she bear, just, mama, bear. mama bear. She just goes at him and like, it's it's almost frightening to watch. Definitely. Uh, th- there's just so much intensity that comes from this movie. Um, but I, I also think that there, from the intensity is born heartfelt moments. I think that everything that this movie dishes to us um, in terms of despair, it, it gives back to us in terms of humanity. There are moments, like, listen guys, hey. I cried while watching this movie, and I'll tell you exactly when I cried. It was when um, the escape plan that they do to get out of room is um, they pretend that Jack has died from a fever, and um, old Nick is transporting the body out of room in his pickup truck, and Jack jumps out of the truck and has to get help. And so when he does that, you know, he just finds a random stranger... And, you know, this stranger is, like, willing to help and is actively helping, knows that there's something wrong, gets Jack away from old Nick, calls the police, and actively helps the police when uh, when they get there. And I don't know, but that interaction just had, like, so much, like, it was, like, it was the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And, like, and, like seeing everything connect. Because there's a moment right before that happens where... You see Jack standing up in the back of the pickup truck. And and I was just like, Jack, you're standing there too long. Jack, he's going to notice that you're there. That's Jack, exactly if you're going to do thinking. something, you got to do it now. Um, and lo and behold, he takes too long. Old Nick notices him and you're like, well, everything's down the drain. We've we've worked so hard and now they're going to get punished even harder. And and you worry about the consequences but so while you are still in this uh, 
atmosphere of fear for Ma and Jack, he Jack does manage to pull through and find the person that will help that will eventually help them eventually help Ma get out of the room as well. And the just seeing the bad turn into good was just, it was a it was a very emotional moment for me. <laughs> I definitely agree like that. I don't think okay, I probably have been, but not in a long time have I been that anxious while watching a scene in a movie as I was when they were doing their escape plan and like actually like trying it out. I was so anxious that it wasn't going to work and then I was so happy that it was going to, but I think for me personally having my part of my degree be in criminology and social work I was kind of like desensitized to this stuff because like I watched a lot of true stuff like this on tv growing up as a kid because my mom really enjoys like true crime and everything and so I was like super desensitized to it so I definitely like didn't cry but I was still feeling a lot of intense emotions but one part that did almost make me cry was when they return home back to ma's mom's house so grandma's house she grandma has a new friend or husband i don't know if they're actually married or not they never actually specify named leo and leo is the first person that is not ma to actually make a genuine connection with jack because jack is terrified once he's out of the room he hasn't met any other people he doesn't know how to interact with other people men are terrifying to him because the only man he's ever met before all of this is old nick who he's not even allowed to really interact with because ma gets so protective over him so men are just scary but leo is like he does things perfectly like literally perfectly he is patient he sets up you know leading questions for jack to answer he doesn't push him he like you know it's just like that playful playful and friendly and like kind of sets it up to where like okay i'm gonna you know put my hand out stick my neck out here but you don't have to do anything i just want jack to know that this is something like when they have that interaction he's like playing leo is like playing with these toys and he's like man i really wish i had someone cool and fun to play with these toys with oh you know what I have something really tasty in the kitchen that I'm going to go eat. I wish I had someone to share it with, as he knows Jack is listening. And then once he sees Jack around the corner, he plays it off as if he still didn't realize that Jack was there. Like, this is all Jack leading it himself, even though Leo is kind of leaving that trail of breadcrumbs breadcrumbs for Jack to follow. Yes, I definitely agree. Leo rules. Um, when we're first introduced to Leo, we're kind of like wary of him mm-hmm. because we as an audience pick up before Joy does, before Ma does, of her parents' divorce and all all that. Um, so we're kind of like, oh, Leo's the new guy. And like, so we are just as wary of him as Joy is, but... He's he warms up very fast. Mm-hmm. Also, screw Joy's father. Yeah, yo, Grandpa S- William H Macy, your character is bad and not good. He sucks. Like you could tell that he's trying so hard to like. 
be there for his daughter, but he cannot get over the fact that Jack is, you know, half in genes wise, the captor. And he can't even look at Jack in the face or talk to him. And I'm like, really? That is like, get over yourself, dude. Get over yourself. What a weird hill to die on. Literally. And this movie does a lot in terms of even though Joy was the one kidnapped, it affected the entire family. Mm-hmm. Although there was there I did there was something about the way th- her family handled it where I just felt like everyone was doing a not great job because <laughs> I, I like um both her both her mom and her dad were just like. I don't know. They they let things go a little too deep, and I felt like they weren't as sympathetic for Joy as I feel like they should have been. I, I, de- um, I can definitely agree. There were just some agree. scenes where Joy and her mom are talking, and it very quickly turns into an argument because like emotions are high, and I get that. But there are just certain things where when Joy snaps, her mom's reaction is to also snap, and. Uh, from an outsider looking in, it's easier to say this than being in the moment. But, like, as a mom, you should be like, all right, my my daughter who was kidnapped for seven years is finally back in the real world. Maybe I should give her more than two or three days to reaccommodate. Yeah, like, I when I say that Leo was my favorite character, I mean that because he was the most level-headed with approaching this situation. Yeah. Because... I feel like with Joy and her mom, they kind of, you know, they've been apart for seven years. So in their heads, they still approach each other as if Joy is 17 and her mom is, you know, the mom of a teenager. So when Joy is responding to her mom, she kind of responds with that teenage angst because, you know, while you mature a lot when you're in captivity, you don't like, you know, necessarily properly emotionally mature if that makes sense and so i feel like no one teaches you uh, (laughs) de-escalation when you're in captivity exactly and i feel like that's where like they butted heads a lot was because like you know joy there's a scene where she's like looking through her old yearbooks and she's like talking to jack about her old friends and how nothing happened to them they got to live their lives normally and nothing bad happened to them and you can see that she holds a lot of resentment about that and she kind of carries that into her family as well which is like completely understandable because yeah having your child be kidnapped is incredibly traumatic but it's not nearly as traumatic as being the one that was kidnapped. kidnapped yeah exactly and so i feel like there were times when you know grandma was getting too held up on the fact of well it impacted me too it impacted me too and joy is like i get that it impacted you but it wasn't anything like what i went through yeah you got remarried i got sexually assaulted on a weekly basis literally and so i definitely agree that there was downfalls from everybody and Leo was definitely the most level-headed, and I appreciated them actually having a level-headed character in yes, this definitely. that didn't cause more problems at any point. Like, he was literally just there to be, like, of sound mind. And I will say that there's 
after like the big fight that Joy and her mom have, she decides that she's going to do this news interview to get money so that way her and Jack can like move out and live on their own. And that news reporter, I would have punched her. I would have punched her if she tried to be like, you were in captivity. Why didn't you give your kid away? Dude, same. Like, oh my God. Oh my God, I was going to lose it. I was so mad about that. I was like, I would have swung. Like, I would have gotten up and left so that I wouldn't catch a charge because no way I would continue talking to that woman if she tried to say something like that. She also just had bad questions. She was so disrespectful the entire time. Like, there's a line between, like, let's get some hot goss for the nightly news and let's berate this woman literally like that's all she was doing was like judging her and i'm like bro like stop pushing your agenda onto this woman and hear her story it's there there are so many good moments in this movie and it all comes from desperation and it all comes from like like perseverance and and sometimes those stories are difficult to watch but they're worth but like they have a they make it worth it in the end yes and i think that this movie is no different because even when they get out of room they still they they still have trauma responses to things in the real world because when after that interview goes so poorly joy tries to kill herself and it and very almost succeeds Mm -hmm. and so jack is the one that finds her which is more trauma for him but you know but in turn you get this scene of uh for for the for the entire second half of the movie um grandma wants to cut his hair but he's like no this is the source of like this is what makes me feel whole this is the source of my strong." strong and um, after Ma has been in the hospital for a few days, um, he's like, Ma needs my strong more than I do. Can you cut off my hair and send it to her? And there's a lot of very good moments, very good parent-child bonds. Yes. So I-, I think, like I said, I'll say what I said earlier, which was every time this movie makes you feel hopeless – it it makes you feel faith in humanity again, or at least it makes you feel faith in this one family again. Yeah, because like, but the this movie does not resolve everyone's problems. This movie doesn't like make everybody untraumaed, but what it does do is it sets everybody up to live lives alongside their trauma. Um. Because by the end of the movie, Jack tells Ma that he made a friend, that he that he is going to play with another kid, which when he first leaves room, you don't expect that to happen. No, not in the slightest. Um, And you, you never get reconciliation from Ma and Grandma where they're like, hey, we've both been treating each other poorly we need to understand that our experiences are different. They don't have that. But there's this kind of like silent recognition of there are extremes. And as long as we keep each other away from the extremes, we'll be fine. 
it's kind of like every time this movie kind of puts you in the darkness, all of a sudden they flick on a little flashlight to like keep you holding on. And it's very realistic in the sense of how it shows them, you know, accepting their trauma and learning how to live alongside of it. I really respected their portrayal of it. Like, obviously, some things were dramatized and some things I felt like should have had bigger reactions than they did. But for the most part, I feel like it was definitely respectable in that sense. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that, like I said, this is my third time watching this movie. And uh, now on this watch through, this is the watch through where I realized that Joy is only a year older than me. Yep. Um, when when they leave room, and it makes me think that if I was in that room for six years, I would not make it. Real, just straight up, would not make it. And the things that I think about, um, and and this movie depicts, I think very well, are the moments where no matter how much you love somebody, they just get on your nerves. Mm-hmm. And Ma and Jack are side by side, no more than 10 feet apart at any given time. But like they still find a way to interact with each other in a loving way. They are not resentful of each other. There are some resentful moments, but like it does not affect their, it does not define their long-term relationship. And so it's just, it's a story that like, it's much better. It's a story that I see and recognize. I am not that strong. Well, I feel like wholeheartedly the reason that Joy made it as long as she did was because of Jack. I feel like had she not ever had Jack, she probably wouldn't have made it that long herself. You know, like, yeah, I feel like a lot of her will to live was to make sure that Jack got out. Yes, definitely. So there's this movie. I this first of all, Brie Larson won uh, an Oscar for this. Well Rightfully deserved, so. I'd say. Um, but I do want to say Jacob Tremblay. I don't think even got nominated for an Oscar. He got nominated and won like some SAG awards and stuff like that. Cheated, but he was cheated. 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 Jacob Tremblay is so good in this movie. Phenomenal. Like straight up. Straight up, he is the best actor in this movie. Granted, he was up against three other guys in this movie, but um, he he does this movie would not be what it was without him. For no. what it's worth, Brie Larson could have been replaced with an equally as good actress. Someone else could have gotten an Oscar for winning the, for being in this movie, but. I think that Jacob Tremblay defines this movie. Stole the, the show. very beginning to the very end. So I, I want to give props to that. That's the fact that he he's an acting force. And it is you see it from the very beginning of this movie. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, this movie's like an eight and a half for me. This movie is so good. I'm going to give this one probably a seven and a half just because... I personally don't think I'd go back and watch it again just because of its content and how heavy yeah, it is. Yeah, sure. But I wholeheartedly respect how amazing it is, how well it was shot, how great the actors are, and how well they 
portrayed trauma responses. Yes. Like, there's just... This movie is an emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. that guides you every step of the way. And it's just, it's, it's worth it. It is. And even though we've talked about it and we've hit the major plot points, there's so like much more. Can, there's so much more. You can rewatch that. You can watch this movie after hearing us talk about it for 25 minutes and you can, and you will feel the exact same way that we felt. Uh, during the scenes that we didn't describe and even during the scenes we did. Absolutely. So this movie rules. That being said, next month, guys. Guys. Next month. Next month. I'm so excited for next month. So we've been teasing this for a hot minute. So long. I've been waiting for it for so long. Uh, We're finally starting our journey through the Star Wars saga. Hell Um, yeah. So we are going to be watching the original trilogy. Um, I know it's only three movies. We, t- we tried to do four or five, but by golly, I'm confident that I cannot shut up about Star Wars for anywhere between 60 to 80 minutes. I was going to say, these episodes are probably going to be a little bit longer. <laughs> so um, episodes four, five, and six, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Um, that's what we're watching for February. I... I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, uh, but yeah, that's 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 what we got on the docket for, for next month. This brings us to the end of Blam Month. I'm Bug and I'm small. And I'm Craig and I'm tall. Thank you for joining us for our Brie Larson Appreciation Month. And we will see you next month for the beginning of our Star Wars watch through. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. Mwah.